Welcome to On Fire. This is the On Fire podcast. I am your host, Ryan Allen. Glad to be back with you. Um, I've decided that at least uh, where I live in North America, Latter-day Saint weddings kind of stink. Uh, we've, we've mixed together kind of this Western Christian, these Western Christian traditions and sacred revealed temple ceilings. And the result is this weird hybrid where close family and friends attend the temple ceiling in the morning. And then there's an awkward reception later where people stand in line to shake hands with the bride and groom and with their parents. And you, then you, you eat kind of a trendy snack or dessert and then go home. I think my wife and I made a huge mistake when we planned our wedding. We had a line consisting of her maid of honor, then her parents, then us, the bride and groom, then my parents, and then my best men, which was my, my older brother and my good buddy because I didn't want to choose uh, between the two of them. So, so they were both there. So we had about 500 people attend our, our wedding and our, our poor guests basically just waited in line for a long time out in the, in the hallway and out, you know, into the, into the lobby uh, just to get into the cultural hall of that church. Uh, just to shake everyone's hand. And by the time we got everyone through the line, it was late and we were exhausted. There were uh, there was a few minutes uh, for music and dancing before we cut the cake. We, we should have had music and dancing the entire time. We did have music, but we didn't have dancing. And, and it should have been more of a celebration, not a, a boring handshaking event. So that's my regret. Take that for what it's worth. Um so eventually we, we cut the cake and, and she threw her bouquet. And then there's this creepy tradition that really should just go away. Um, my wife had never worn a garter belt before and, and never has since. So in front of her parents, I retrieved this garter belt from her thigh with my mouth and then tossed it into a group of my male friends uh, like the bouquet was thrown to the bridesmaids. What is that about? I don't know where that started or why we why we do that. And then I thought, you know, what did the guy who caught it do with it? Because I kind of flung it out there as kind of an elastic. And so I flicked it out there. Uh, what does that guy do with it? I don't know. Did he take it home and, and keep it in a drawer and then take it out periodically to to sniff it or something? I, I don't know. Why did we do that? Basically because someone told us to do that. It's what you do at a wedding. It's stupid. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I have all the answers or have any interest in becoming a wedding planner, but I invite you young people to do it better than we did. Figure, figure it out. Uh, make it a, a celebration. Anyway, I'm talking about weddings because the Lord used Jewish customs to teach certain principles in the scriptures. One of the best examples is that of a Jewish wedding. The Lord uses a wedding between himself and the house of Israel as a metaphor throughout the, the whole Old Testament and elements of it spill into Jesus and, and into Paul's teachings in the New Testament. Uh, that symbolism can also be found in the Book of Mormon and in the Doctrine and Covenants. It's important to know this because the parable of the ten virgins doesn't make a lot of sense unless you know what a wedding in Judea in 30 AD was all about. And, and I want to talk about that parable, so I want you to understand it. Um, there's an article by Richard K. Hart that's on the church website uh, that is called The Marriage Metaphor, and it says this, 
it comes as no surprise that marriage in Israel was, was contractual in nature, involving covenants and oaths, generally proceeding in a strict and formal manner. Covenants and oaths were, after all, the means by which the Israelites committed to one another, to family, to tribe, and to God. And that's the end of that quote. So the, the wedding custom back then was in two parts. A couple would become engaged by signing a wedding contract and making sacred oaths and covenants to each other in a betrothal ceremony a year before they actually intended to become married and, and live together. Now this was serious business. The betrothal was binding and required a legal divorce to break it off. You didn't just take the ring off and give the ring back and, and part ways and, and break up. Now, the groom or the bridegroom as it's called in the scripture. So you need to know that term. The bridegroom is what we would call now the, the groom, the male uh, of, of the couple. Uh, the bridegroom would, would use that time, that year, in between the betrothal and, and the wedding to get a home ready to take his bride. It would be either you know, separate or part of his, his parents' home. Uh, and the bride would make herself ready, make wedding clothes, um, maybe, maybe help her parents plan the wedding. Uh, but at some point after a year had passed, the bridegroom would come to the bride's home to collect his bride and take her to a feast and a, a party at his parents' home. And eventually the actual wedding ceremony took place. So according to one source that I read, the groom's father was the one who would decide when the bridegroom would depart to pick up the bride. It would always be after dusk. So the bride and her bridesmaids didn't know exactly when the bridegroom would come. Uh, they were expected to be ready at a moment's notice with lamps lit to light the way, light the way kind of like modern flashlights. They, they have these lamps for that purpose. Uh, and a cry would go out to warn them before the bridegroom actually arrived. Someone would go ahead and, and shout, I don't know, the bridegroom is coming. Um, and that would give the bride and the bridesmaids a quick heads up. Not a lot of time, but, but at least some awareness. So the whole wedding party would then walk in a procession to the bridegroom's parents' home, and then the festivities would begin. And sometimes it could last up to seven days of, of feasting. So if you weren't inside the gates by the time the party started, you probably weren't very close to either family, so you, you wouldn't be admitted inside. You'd be uh, left out. Okay, so that's kind of some background on, on that um, ancient wedding custom. So after the exodus from Egypt, when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, Jehovah invited the children of Israel to enter into a covenant with him. It was the betrothal, the marriage contract. That's, that's in that metaphor, that's what that is. So in a similar way, you and I have been invited to enter into a covenant with God through baptism. And that baptismal covenant adds the person making the covenant into the house of Israel, basically. And sometimes that's through adoption if the person is not a, a blood descendant. Uh, but once you're baptized, you are considered of the house of Israel. If you have been baptized, you can consider yourself the Lord's bride. Now, some of you brethren probably never expected to be a bride, but here you are. So hopefully that background helps us understand the parable of the ten virgins a little bit better. We could refer to it also as the parable of the ten bridesmaids to make it more modern if we wanted. You can substitute bridesmaid for virgin if that helps you. Uh, that, that parable is found in Matthew chapter 25 in the Bible, in the New Testament. And, uh, and it goes like this, starting in verse 1. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. 
and five of them were wise, and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Now vessels are, are basically, you know, a, a bottle that would hold extra oil so they could refill it. That's what the, the vessel is. Uh, verse 5. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So that last verse is the, is the Lord basically explaining the purpose of the parable. And I'll read that again. Watch therefore, for ye know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So he's asking us to watch. He's commanding us to watch. Uh, and that means watching for the signs and the prophecies that, that precede his coming. We're not to be sign seekers, meaning asking for signs, uh, you know, that he hasn't already offered to, to let us know things. But there are signs that he has given uh, already that are in the scriptures that, that we are to watch for and be aware of. So the wedding in this metaphor, in, or in this parable, uh, is, is the Savior's second coming. That's considered the wedding ceremony. Uh, he comes to marry his bride, the church, or the, or the kingdom, and become one with it. I guess the millennium would be like the wedding feast, uh, or, the, or the honeymoon, how about? But using this parable, the Lord is teaching us to prepare for the wedding, or his second coming. We don't know exactly when it will be, so we should be watching for the signs, listening for the cry that the bridegroom cometh, and have plenty of oil in our lamps so that we are prepared to be part of the procession to the wedding feast. All of the virgins or bridesmaids are members of the church, but only half, they're all invited to the wedding, but only half are prepared and actually enter the wedding feast. Now we want to be among the five who were wise. So in section 45 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord commands us to watch. This is in verse 39. He says, He that feareth me, and, and that fear means uh, to reverence and respect, not to be, be afraid of the Lord. I'll start that over. He that feareth me shall be looking forth for the great day of the Lord to come, even for the signs of the coming of the Son of Man. And then a few verses later, verse 44, he says, And he that watches not for me shall be cut off. That's kind of strong language, being cut off. If you remember from, uh, from a previous podcast where we talked about spiritual death and physical death, being cut off from the presence of the Lord is spiritual death. And it's kind of in that same vein. It's, it's, that's a bad thing. So he's warning us that if we do not watch for him, we'll be cut off. In that same section, section 45 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord refers to the parable of the ten virgins and tells us how to be prepared. These are important keys to navigate these last days. So listen carefully. This is verse 57 of section 45. For they that are wise and have received the truth, 
and have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide and have not been deceived, verily I say unto you, they shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. And to abide means to stay and, and, and dwell. And so uh, the day meaning the great and, and dreadful day of the Lord. It's great for the righteous. It's, it's dreadful for the wicked. So those are, the, those are some keys. And if you, you might recognize that some of these have been addressed in previous podcasts. Have received the truth is one that that's mentioned there. They that are wise and have received the truth, receiving the truth, uh, meaning we have a witness of, and a testimony of, of true doctrine and, and things as they really are, have taken the Holy Spirit for their guide. We talked about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost and, and obeying those promptings. And I, I can't emphasize enough how important that is to take the Holy Spirit for our guide, to listen to the Spirit and to obey promptings with exactness and have not been deceived. We talked about um, different voices that we hear, the, the voice of the adversary. And we talked about spiritual warfare and how Satan and his minions try to deceive us. So uh, those things are all, are all addressed. So if we will do those things, uh, the Lord says that we will not be hewn down and cast into the fire, but shall abide the day. So that fire is for everything that's telestial uh, at his coming well, that will burn. And so if we are not in that category, but we've done those other things, then we will not, not burn, but shall abide the day and shall stay. Okay, President Dallin H. Oaks of the First Presidency, First Council on the First Presidency, wrote about this topic in this month, and I'm talking about August of 2021, this month's Liahona Magazine. He said this, this is quoting President Oaks, the scriptures are rich in references to the second coming, an event eagerly awaited by the righteous and dreaded or denied by the wicked. Let the cry go forth among all people, the Lord warned at the outset of the restoration. Behold, and lo, the bridegroom cometh. Prepare yourselves for the great day of the Lord. That's from Doctrine and Covenants 133. Back to President Oaks. We are living in the prophesied time when peace shall be taken from the earth, when all things shall be in commotion and men's hearts shall fail them. We are surrounded by challenges on all, side, on all sides, but with faith in God, we trust in the blessings he has promised those who keep his commandments and prepare. So I'm going to take a little break from this uh, quote. He said, we are living in the prophesied time. He's not saying it's coming or someday. He said, we are there. We're, we're living in that prophesied time when peace shall be taken from the earth. All things shall be in commotion. Men's hearts shall fail them. Continuing with his words, as part of our preparation to meet him, the Lord has commanded, stand ye in holy places and be not moved until the day of the Lord come, for behold, it cometh quickly. What are those holy places? Surely they include the temple attended by those who keep their covenants faithfully. Surely they include places of service by faithful missionaries and others called by priesthood authority. As we stand in holy places, we exercise and are subject to priesthood authority, and we seek the ordinances required for exaltation and eternal life. As Elder Ronald A. Rasband of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles recently explained, when we stand in holy places, our righteous homes, our dedicated chapels, the consecrated temples, we feel the Spirit of the Lord with us. We find answers to questions that trouble us, or the peace to simply set them aside. 
That is the spirit in action. These sacred places in the kingdom of God on earth call for our reverence, our respect for others, our best selves in living the gospel, and our hopes to lay aside our fears and seek the healing power of Jesus Christ through his atonement. That was Elder Ronald A. Rasband's quote within a quote, quote within Elder Oaks's quote. So back to Elder Oaks' words, he said this, In modern revelation, we are told that he who fears the Lord will be looking forth for the great day of the Lord to come, even for the signs of the coming of the Son of Man. In the final period before the end of his mortal ministry, Jesus spoke of his second coming. He described the tribulations that would come first and the importance, notwithstanding those tribulations, of being ready. Then he declared, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. President Nelson has taught, We are just building up to the climax of this last dispensation, when the Savior's second coming becomes a reality. The signs of that second coming are all around us and seem to be increasing in frequency and intensity. Worldwide, we are experiencing or learning of earthquakes, famines, typhoons, floods, pestilences, and armed conflicts. But not all these signs are threatening. A positive sign of the times is the prophesied gathering of Israel, which President Nelson has declared is the most important thing taking place on earth today. We talked about that in podcast one. Uh, who are you? If you haven't listened to that, go back and, and listen to that podcast. Okay, continuing with Elder Oak's words here. As, the, as this gathering proceeds, we are establishing stakes for a defense and for a refuge from the storm and from wrath when it shall be poured out without mixture upon the whole earth. We are also accelerating the building of temples where the faithful can gather in their own homelands to make the covenants that allow them to be eligible for eternal life. As the Book of Mormon teaches, this life is the time for men to prepare to meet God. Are we preparing? What if the day of his coming were tomorrow? If we knew that we would meet the Lord tomorrow, through our death or through his coming, what would we do today? What confessions would we make? What practices would we discontinue? What forgiveness would we extend? What ordinances would we seek? What additional things would we do to fulfill our covenants? If we could do those things then, why not now? If our lamps of preparation are drawn out, let us start immediately to replenish them. Another member of the First Presidency, our prophet, President Nelson, also wrote fairly recently, uh, April of 2020, in the Enzyme magazine, and he said this, The time is coming when those who do not obey the Lord will be separated from those who do. Our safest insurance is to continue to be worthy of admission to his holy house. The greatest gift you could give to the Lord is to keep yourself unspotted from the world, worthy to attend his holy house. His gift to you will be the peace and security of knowing that you are worthy to meet him whenever that time comes. I'm going to pause for a second uh, in that quote, but hopefully you know what the qualifications are for a temple recommend. That's what he's referring to is, is that you're worthy to receive a temple recommend. And that's not all encompassing. A temple recommend doesn't cover every commandment and, uh, and every aspect of, of living the gospel, but it is a good measuring stick to, to see if we're, if we're keeping our covenants. And if we're answering those questions, honestly, uh, then, then we, 
we should be worthy. And those other things would be uh, kind of in included in that interview process. And the last question says, do you consider yourself worthy to enter the Lord's house and participate in temple ordinances? So that is, if, if, if there's a catch-all, then that's it. So think about those. If you don't know what those questions are, if you haven't had a Temple Recommend interview before or recently, um, look that up on the church website. Just search Temple Recommend interview questions and, and read through those. If there are things in that interview that you would not be able to answer in the appropriate way, then those are things to work on and those are things to to take to heart and, and do what needs to be done uh, so that you can be worthy. So talk to your bishop or your branch president about doing that and and repent for whatever needs to be repented of. And if you're not paying tithing, start paying tithing. That's part of living a consecrated life is paying tithing. And do whatever else you can so that you are, are worthy. Uh, and that will help you to feel worthy in, uh, in all aspects so that you're, you feel like you could be prepared to, to meet the Lord when he comes. Okay, back to President Nelson's uh, Enzyme article here. He says, We live in a time of turmoil. Earthquakes and tsunamis wreak devastation. Governments collapse. Economic stresses are severe. The family is under attack. And divorce rates are rising. We have great cause for concern. But we do not need to let our fears displace our faith. We can combat those fears by strengthening our faith. Why do we need such resilient faith? Because difficult days are ahead. Rarely in the future will it be easy or popular to be a faithful Latter-day Saint. I'm going to pause there for a second. Rarely in the future will it be easy or popular to be a faithful Latter-day Saint. I think for, for a lot of us, we're there. It's, it's already, it's already that way. It's not easy and it's not popular to be a faithful Latter-day Saint. And that may be uh, more or less true depending on where you live and who you associate with. Uh, but that, that will increase as, as time goes on. Back to President Nelson. Each of us will be tested. The Apostle Paul warned that in the latter days, those who diligently follow the Lord shall suffer persecution. That very persecution can either crush you into silent weakness or motivate you to be more exemplary and courageous in your daily lives. I got to pause there too. If you don't feel like persecution has come your way, then prepare yourself for it because it likely will. And when it does, think of these words. When that persecution comes, President Nelson says, that can either crush you into silent weakness or motivate you to be more exemplary and courageous in your daily lives. I hope that you will choose the latter, that being persecuted will help you realize that you are part of something special and that you are a, a part of a peculiar people. That's what the scriptures call God's people, peculiar. And that's why you're being persecuted. It's not really something personal against you, it's because of your association with God and his church and his work. And so let that motivate you to be more exemplary and courageous from day to day. All right, back to President Nelson's quote. Do whatever it takes to strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ by increasing your understanding of the doctrine taught in his restored church and by relentlessly seeking truth. 
anchored in pure doctrine, you will be able to step forward with faith and dogged persistence and cheerfully do all that lies in your power to fulfill the purposes of the Lord. You will have days when you will be discouraged, so pray for courage not to give up. Sadly, some who you thought were your friends will betray you, and some things will simply seem unfair. However, I promise you that as you follow Jesus Christ, you will find sustained peace and true joy as you keep your covenants with increasing precision and as you defend the church and kingdom of God on the earth today, the Lord will bless you with strength and wisdom to accomplish what only members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints can accomplish. It's the end of a quote from President Nelson. It's rare anymore that we hear from our living prophet and he doesn't mention that our mission is to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He, almost every time he addresses the church, that phrase or something similar is included. Uh, Do we believe him? If we do, are we living any differently than before? Are we striving to be more diligent in keeping our covenants? Are we doing our part to help gather Israel? What he says is the most important thing that we can be doing more important than sports, more important than Xbox, more important than dancing uh, or, or whatever. And those things are great. And I'm not saying not to do those things, but if they are a higher priority than gathering Israel, if, if going to school or our personal relationships are more important than gathering Israel, uh, then, then we are, are not following the words of a living prophet as we should. So let's each of us do some, some self-evaluating and see if we have some changes to make in our lives. What, what are we doing to, fulf- uh, to fill our spiritual lamps with oil? Do we know the signs of the Savior's second coming? Is that something we ought to study so we can be watching and not be cut off? Let me read again what President Oaks wrote. He said, What if the day of his coming were tomorrow? If we knew that we would meet the Lord tomorrow through our death or through his coming, what would we do today? What confessions would we make? What practices would we discontinue? What forgiveness would we extend? What ordinances would we seek? What additional things would we do to fulfill our covenants? If we could do those things then, why not now? If our lamps of preparation are drawn down, let us start immediately to replenish them. That's the end of the quote from President Oaks. It is my witness and testimony that we are living in what our prophet has designated the latter part of these latter days. May we heed the counsel of living prophets by diligently watching for the signs and prophecies to be fulfilled. And may we prepare ourselves in every way to be ready to meet the bridegroom, our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, when he comes. In his sacred name, amen. Amen.